Welcome back to another episode of Pure Speculation from StruggleState.com. I'm your host, Zach Hayes, and we have a new guest in the studio today, Julia Griffin. Welcome to the Pure Speculation podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, we've had your husband, Dan, on the show in the past, and, you know, he was like, you know, let, let my wife come in this time because she's really into these conversations. Uh, she'd be a great guest to have on. And and I got to agree, I think this is going to be a good one. But why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I own my own little one-person business in town. It's called Julia Spot. I'm right inside the barbershop with my husband. Um, I've been a resident of Romeo for basically my whole life. And um, I'm just kind of Excited to talk about uh, how this situation, the COVID situation and, you know, the government lockdowns and everything has affected our community yeah, and the people, you know, we all know. and Small business in general. And you guys have a very unique situation. You and your husband, you own the Romeo Barbershop together. Um, and you guys both have your own little setup where you take clients in and your industry has been impacted heavily by the shutdowns more so in the beginning than what we've seen in the last three months where it's been mostly the restaurants, the gyms and that kind of thing. But tell me what you've seen directly in a small town, in a, in a situation where your barbershop has, is it four, do you guys have four independent yeah. Let's see. I count, count them. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Okay. Five. So you got five, <laughs> five in there and then yeah. you got two, uh, you and you and Dan who have your own clients, but uh, how has this impacted, um, the business moving forward since the reopening? Okay. Well, Dan has been basically the same. He's just pumping them out. He can't, you know, he's always been busier than he can, you know, keep up with. Um, it's hard to get an appointment with Dan it's sometimes. Hard, yes. And I have been doing okay. I've had a couple clients that I have not seen back and I've had, you know, a couple older people, people who are a little bit, uh, maybe have underlying health issues that, you know, I've come in on my day off to do because they're, they're very uncomfortable coming into a situation. Which where, is understandable. Everybody's right. got a different level of tolerance when right, it comes to right. that. And I, you know, especially for some of these people, there's like one client in particular who has had a very long battle with, you know, cancer and, you know, tumors and all sorts of health issue, issues. She would be willing to come in, but I'm like, no, let's just, let's just go. You don't want that on day. your hands. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if anything were to right. happen, you don't want to make that phone call and say, Hey, there was a customer who came in right before you who ended up right, testing positive. Exactly. That's a phone call nobody wants to right. make. So the next door, though, and I think there's a big difference because they are walk-ins. That they, is a huge difference. Yes. They don't do appointments. They do walk-ins. So they have seen a decline definitely in their, in you know how much business they're doing before the 
before COVID, they could, you know, they were hardly keeping up. They had, you know, tons of people. There's a waiting line. Right. There's basically like a line at the door before anybody comes to even open that barbershop. At least there was before. That's, you know, there's a bench out front. People are sitting on the bench, basically waiting to be first in line when that opens up. And it stayed pretty consistent through, throughout the day too. There never seemed to be a lull over there. Right. Yes. They were very busy. After COVID, when the, you know, our lockdown was over, they had like a real busy first week, you know, kind of everyone trying to get their hair cut. But since then, they've definitely slowed down. And I think that it has a lot to do, I think it has a lot to do with a few different things. I think um, some people were deterred by the no waiting room. So they didn't, you know, the idea of going and writing their name and number and then, you know, waiting outside and. What are you going to do to kill time? Right, you know what exactly. I mean? It's not like there's a lot going on where, you know, go check out the antique store or run down to FAMS or, right. you know, grab yourself a a drink at Younger's or the pub. Yeah. That really wasn't a thing. And it really, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just a change that people get a little uncomfortable with. People are uncomfortable with change. It's different than what they're used to. So they're just not. And it's change that's been forced on them too. It's not a change where you consciously said, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to get a haircut as often, or, you know, I'm going to grow my hair out. It's something that, you know, was spurred by something that was forced on them, which is you're being forced to change the way you conduct your business. Right. And then I think, um, some people just got used to, you know, having their hair a little longer. They, you know, the people who, there were people who come once a week or once every two weeks and they have to have it real crisp and they just kind of got past that need. Was some of that maybe <laughs> connected to their job? Maybe like oh, a, more sure. of a, you I'm know, sure. you have to be presentable when you go to the office yes. and now that they're working from home, it's, it's, there's been a little bit of more, you know, slack. There's less uh, personal upkeep, I guess, at that point, right. you know, you're allowed to work in sweatpants and a, a sweatshirt, you know, Absolutely. And, and you're allowed to, you know, look a little more scruffy than right. you originally. Cause you're, you know, your clients directly are more, uh, female, but the barbershop is, is all men essentially. Basically. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the 99% right. male driven. And, and that makes it a little bit easier to, you know, not go, go without you. It's not like you need to be a, a color. Yeah. Hey, let's call it like, it, <laughs> yeah. like we see it. Right. And, and I fall into that department too. And I wouldn't call myself a complete slob, but at the same time, I think I only got two haircuts in 2020. Now I'm usually not like I get frequent haircuts, but every, at least every two months or so I'm getting something. Right. And, and now, uh, you know, I, I kind of got used to it. Like you said, yeah. I'm growing it out a little bit more and, and I'm you're, not, you're embracing your inner mountain man. It looks like. I think that pretty much sums it up. That's, <laughs> that's an accurate statement, but, but that has, that has been something that now is that going to completely change your industry for the next, that could be long lasting. I mean, this could be something that, that is a trend that you see for, for years to come. Sure. So if there's no direct recovery from that, there's not enough uh, stimulus money or, um, you, you know, mandates that can go into place that would change that because now that has become the quote unquote new normal that they say, sure. you know, I mean, people, you know, clipper sales went up, uh, mm. tremendously during lockdown. And so some people have gotten used to cutting their own hair. I think that we have to rely on, um, 
ourselves though, to build that back up once, you know, once people start to become more comfortable with, um, you know, if the vaccine spreads around and people feel more comfortable with going out and, you know, doing their regular, it's up to the business to, to innovate, to think of ways to market, to try to get people back in. Um, I don't really think, I mean, Sure. I think there's going to be lots of changes across the board that it's going to take a long time to get back to normal or, you know, maybe never will get back to exactly how it was before. But I think for the most part, people are eager to get back to life pre. I mean, all we're going to need is a few celebrities who are going to, you know, pump out the really sweet, tight haircuts again, and everyone will be back in to, to follow suit. So. so so you're saying like Tom Tom Cruise with hair down to his shoulders <laughs> right. is not going to be good for your industry. Right. No. If he if, if that's what starts happening, yeah. I don't even, is he even yeah, relevant because anymore? Because people follow Tom Cruise, you know, sure. they, that's who we look to, to figure out what we should be doing. No, I don't think Tom Cruise is an issue, but... Um, I don't know. I don't know who's popular anymore. I'm Neither too, do I. I'm, I'm so too. out of touch. We're, we're getting too old, which <laughs> happy birthday, by Thank the way. Uh, you. It was celebrating your birthday here in the, the studio, which Woo-hoo. is fun. But, you know, these these mandates that have been put in place, it's it, we're, we're seeing a lot of, I don't want to call it assault on small business, but it feels like an assault on sure. small business because, you know, it's a very small segment of the population mm-hmm. too. I, I was looking it up and, you know, they, they say that there's about 30 million small businesses mm-hmm. in the United States. Now, small business is a very broad statement because that's basically classified as any company with 500 employees or less, right. which that's not what I think of when I hear small business. I think of the barbershop, the, the, the t-shirt printing place, the local restaurant, um, the, the coffee shop. Those are small businesses to me. We're, these are, we're more like really small business, you know, yeah. And that's where it gets twisted a little bit, but you know, 30 million businesses like that. Now, how many of those are owned by multiple people? So the actual business owners are much, is a much smaller number compared to say, you know, the 150 some odd million people who are employed in the United States. Right. So we almost have this like small, uh, uh, brotherhood, I guess, of small business owners who, and I, and I'm seeing a lot of people who don't seem to really be able to relate to the fact that this is how we make our livelihood. We, you know, we don't have the job that comes with the benefits and we don't have that guaranteed paycheck every week. Um, you know, we haven't been able to scale back and work from home. We have, we've been in the trenches trying to just maintain our businesses now for the last almost year. Yes. And that's, that's a scary thing. And and we haven't been hit nearly as hard as what the restaurants are going through right now. Um, but I see a lot of people just piling on and, 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 going after these, these businesses that have said, you know what, we're not going to follow these guidelines because we need to make sure that we still have a way to earn, you know, six months down the road, a year down the road, because we're not going to make it. I think that in the beginning of it all, when, you know, first it was two weeks, we're going to shut down for two weeks to slow the spread. And then, you know, and then it became a month and then it became two months and people, people were really willing to do that. Because they thought, you know, we can we can handle this. Seemed we like can, a small ass. Yes, we can make this happen. But as things have stretched on, and as you know, um, guidelines are changing, and you know, 
there's been, you know, statements made and and then walked back. And and, no consistency across the U.S. It's been a state by state uh, decision on on these shutdowns, which, you know, you can kind of put that on the the back of Trump a little bit because he basically said it's up to the states at this point. And and that may change now with the new administration. But I think that's where we couldn't figure out, like, we can, you can go down to Ohio or Indiana and do the same thing and come right back right. to Michigan yeah. and act as if nothing ever yes. happened. There was nothing that said, you know, there's a travel restriction between states after a certain point, of right. course. Well, that was in the beginning. Let's face it, too, because even in within a state, you have a lot of, um, you know, you can't go to the restaurant, but you can go to, you know, Meyer or Walmart sure. at Target, you know, and it's easy to say, well, we need, we need these places because we have to be able to buy food. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but you don't need Target. True. There's hardly any food at Target. You <laughs> can buy your food at Meyer. Let's keep one of them open and shut all of them down. Let's keep Kroger open. Right. Kroger's like strictly, strictly food, shut everything else down. Um, yeah, maybe maybe X amount of your square footage would have right. to be for essential items. Right. It's not an opportunity to it, go buy uh, shelves to to put up in your in your house. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not saying this is what we should do, but I'm just saying there is a certain um, the logic seems flawed. There's a little bit of flawed logic in what we decide is able to stay open and what we decide it's able to close. And I think you see these small restaurants who have now been closed a good portion of the time. Um, for months upon months upon months, and they're saying to themselves, I will lose my business. Yeah, I'm going to lose my business. And that is not a minor thing. I think people think like you're selfish for opening because you're putting people's lives at risk. But losing your livelihood, losing your it's, business is not something small that it's, you know, oh, oh well. Yeah. And you know, you're losing your identity too right, in the process. I mean, exactly. a lot of people are defined by their careers and their jobs. And, and, you know, that's something that, you know, you, you lose a piece of yourself if you lose that and, and to know how long it takes to build up that business. Like I always look back and I say now as somebody who's been in business for 16 years, <clears throat> I can't, I can't imagine having to start over from scratch. It was hard. I didn't have a family at the time, which made it a lot easier. Right. I could not do that in today's time. It just wouldn't be something I'd ever want to pursue again because right. I know how hard it is. And it feels like that's that's what they want people to do. It's like it's one of those things if you close oh well, that's 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 one that's one person's uh situation. And we're not overly concerned about what they have to do as the individual. They can go get a job. And go work at Amazon, you know, Hey, go, go, go trade, trade your, uh, career in for right. a new start at, uh, at the, at the company with the boxes, with the smiley faces. Yes. Lots of hours of very hard work and dedication to build your business. Um, I wanted to bring up something about, uh, restaurants in Los Angeles. Cause to me, this is like a really, you know, good example of just kind of egregious, uh, over, you know, use of authority. Um, these Los Angeles businesses were told that, the you know, the restaurants that they could have outdoor dining. So, you know, these businesses spent thousands of dollars to outfit their, you know, their restaurants with outdoor seating. And, a, you know, a lot of them hardly had a chance. They had one or two days 
to seat people outside. That's it. Yeah. I mean, a couple days of outdoor business and then Los Angeles shut down outdoor dining and there was no science behind it. There was nothing backing up that, you know, outdoor dining was showing to be a huge spreader. spreader. And it was, you know, right before Thanksgiving. So these businesses are already having a tough time. They're already, you know, hardly making ends meet. They then take, you know, precious thousands of dollars. That could go in their pockets. That could go to pay for rent and other things during this downtime. Pay employees and stuff like that. So they, um, they've, they set up outdoor dining so that they can, okay, we can we can bring in money this way. And then they just cut it for no good reason. And then shortly after that, these people see their governor go and spend thousands of dollars to sit down in a fancy restaurant with, you know, 20 some people indoors. Do not, as I say, not as I right. do. No masks. Um, he was with, you know, health officials, the The bill for the alcohol was like many thousands of dollars, and it was like a slap in the face to them. This is is hypocrisy at its finest, and I think this is where it really starts to anger people. Like, I think we already know that most of our representatives don't really care about us. They're just out for themselves at the end of the day, but this has really put a spotlight on it. And I think that, you know, and I, I even heard that with that particular governor, you know, he was... Um, he had shut down other, uh, vineyards, but he kept his open, you know? So it's like, he's playing God with the economy for his own benefit. Right. And that's the disgusting nature of this that really should make any small business owner angry. Right. You know? And, and another problem too, is that, you know, trust is important. You have to trust your, your governing officials that they are are looking out for you, and I pe- I feel like people have really really lost trust in these people because they they can see you know they can see the hypocrisy. It's obvious, you know, and so they're being told, "Don't do this. If you do this, you're putting people in harm's way, and you're being selfish." And then they look at these people doing the same thing that they shamed them into not doing. Mm-hmm. And where's the trust there? You well, know? it's I mean, and yeah, it's happened with other governors and other people who are in charge of uh, some of these mandates and regulations. There was a situation, I forget who it was, but there was somebody who they were um, instructing their residents not to travel during the holidays, and they were recording this message from their vacation home in like another country or something like that. It was something ridiculous like that, where it's like, you're being, you can't do that. It's not, these rules don't only apply to, uh, the, the, the little people, but that's what it feels like. Even, even in our state, I mean, it's, it's an extreme example, I guess, because I know it was a, a momentous day for, um, the country and why somebody would want to be a part of the celebration at the inauguration, but our, our governor was, had traveled to DC to be in attendance at the, um, at the inauguration. And you know, her, her guidelines are no unnecessary travel. I mean, it's not a matter of life and death and, you know, no outside gatherings of X amount of people. 
Once again, there were a lot more people there than what her mandate had stated. Sure. So why are these rules only applying yes. to those that you want to inflict it on? Right. I understand that that's a momentous occasion, but how many people have had to cancel momentous occasions? Birthdays. How many people couldn't... Um, participate in funerals. Sure. I mean, you you know, that to me is like an important part of the human process. Like the grieving process. The grieving yeah. process. Weddings, people canceling wedding. These are all momentous. And for you to say, well, those, your momentous occasions are not as, as important as our momentous occasions. Right. You know, and the thing is, is you've seen, you've seen example after example after example and um, I think if we're we're being asked to dramatically change our way of life, and if you want to do that, you have to do it even better, right? You cannot ask us to dramatically change our lives and not set the good example. I think they call that leading by example. <laughs> exactly. That's like something you're yeah. taught at a very Absolutely. young age. And do you, do you think that our governor in particular has gone too far with some of this? You know, sometimes, yes. I think, for example, in the beginning, when you were allowed to go to you know, go to Meyer, but you can't buy, uh, don't go down this aisle. Yeah, you can't. Uh, I thought like, what is the, what is the science behind that? There is no science that proves that, or that states that you're going to lower the risk of COVID spread by, um, shortening someone's time in right. the store by a few minutes. Um, when, you know, I remember at one point we got the little emergency on your phone, you know, and it said, this is an announcement from the governor of Michigan. You are not allowed to drive anywhere unless, unless it's to, you know, if you were on that list of essential, something essential, there there were, there were people who were literally given papers by their employers in case they got pulled over. Yes. Unless you're going to a medical, you know, essential medical or, you know, essential shopping. So anyway, I, that to me was my snapping point where I said, oh, screw you. Because I would go occasionally, you know, I'm in the house with a couple of little kids and sometimes we would need a change of scenery and we'd sure. hop in the car for 15 minutes and we'd take a little scenic drive and we'd go back. I mean, you think that'd be the safest place you could yeah, be. I did not, you know, stop to get gas or anything like that. And I thought, you know what? I am driving. I don't care what you say. If I want to take a scenic drive, there is not going to hurt anybody. I'm going to do it. But I would think about like, oh, what if I get pulled over? Sure. And I'd have like my story prepared. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that you have to worry about, you know, being pulled over and getting in trouble for going for a drive. Yeah. And I, and I think too, like, you know, we kind of said earlier, it's one of those things where if it really was of that much concern, don't you think that, you know, food rations would be delivered to your home to make sure that, you know, you don't, potentially come in contact with anybody or that you don't show up at, you know, the, the Meyer or the Kroger to purchase your food because it's, it's dangerous. If it's dangerous there, it's, it's dangerous anywhere. Or if it's dangerous at like a, a small restaurant, it's right. just as dangerous at the local Kroger. They say now, well, you take off your, your mask to eat, right? Yeah. But you walk into Kroger, I would say 75% of the people there are wearing masks the other 25 are not. They don't enforce it. Now, that's on them to enforce it, correct? 
Yes. It should be. And, and, and they have the ability to do so. But for some reason, we give those places a pass because we've seen too many of those videos of the person arguing with the poor 17-year-old girl who's just trying to do her job and say, put on a mask, right. and this person is giving her hell. Nobody wants to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah. So we've kind of just let it go yeah. and leave it to the customers to get into that spat with people if they want. But right. you can't say that there's not the potential for spread there. Sure. I mean, you know, here's the thing too, is I am not, I kind of feel like people do need to settle down a little bit. I think it's more important that we maintain a good, I don't know. I just don't like the idea of, of community of people fighting each other over something like that. That's what it feels like we're doing. You know, it's like, so if, if somebody's walking through the grocery store and they don't have a mask on, I just think really like, honestly, let's look at what the, uh, what are the chances of you, you know, catching COVID from them? Um, is it worth shouting them down? Is it worth, you know, um, creating this, uh, you know, this anger? You're better off and, putting yourself at a distance just, from them if you're really that concerned. Distance. I, I don't know. I don't, I like, I think people need to simmer down, <laughs> simmer down. That's, I a, think that's people, a great way to put it. People have been getting a little too angry, a little too tense, um, we're, you know, we're kind of living in tense times, but your, your, your husband, actually, he asked me a, a good question the other day. He said, knowing what you know now, if this shutdown were to happen again, let's say they federally mandate this, you know, kind of the way it was in the first two weeks where everything was just completely shut down. Nobody was doing anything. Would you fall in line again? Or would you keep your business open knowing what you know now? And I had to sit, I, I had to think about that for a minute and, and I don't really know what my answer would be. It would be hard for me now to do that again. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And, and I think that's the attitude of most people, you know, it's especially from a small business standpoint, um, because it's, it's gone too far. When sure. is enough enough? Yes. We're coming up on a year of this. We're tired. We're sick of talking yeah. about it. We just want to go back to reality. But a lot of this, I think, isn't necessarily going to go back into reality. I think this was an opportunity for us to lose um, some of our, our our rights and our our uh, ability to even stay open as a business. Uh, there was a um, a story I wanted to ask you about that you were familiar with. the The gym owner, I think, was it in Jersey? Yeah. So tell uh, me a little bit about it. You got your notes for that one? Well, yeah, I just wanted to write down his name so I didn't forget it. Ian Smith, uh, the owner of Atlas Gym in New Jersey, uh, he, him and his you know, partner opened up their gym, uh, I think it was like seven weeks after the shutdown, and they, they did it publicly. Um, they, they put in safety measures. They put in like air filters in their gym, and they, you know, they – social distancing and sanitizing and all that stuff. Um, and they have been getting fined since then. And they, they had $173,000 in the bank account and that was their legal fund. And they basically, it was a kind of like they were 
the their customers or clients could pay kind of like by donation. It wasn't yes, necessarily they, a fixed amount that you had to right. pay to access the gym. You were kind of like, it was the honor system. Like, hey, whatever you can afford to give, give. Yes, they weren't charging people at this time. So they were just taking donations. Well, they came to work one day and their money was gone out gone. of the bank account. Yeah, just gone, completely drained. Their bank account was drained by by the governor. So you could say uh, they owned fines. They owed fines. Sure. They owed a lot of fines. They were being fined about $15,000 a day. Oh, wow. That's which, a huge fine. According to the law, a fine of a small business should be a punitive sting. So it, it that feels like that right. feels like a desecration at that point. Exactly. So, you know, fifteen thousand dollars. They were saying barely they make in a month. Sure. Right. So, um, so they were fined that. So they had all these fines. So you could say, well, you know, the government, um, they they were owed this money. Well, they were still in you know in court. They were in active litigation. Um, when they took this. Also, I should say they were fined the $15,000 a day because after uh, they were told they could reopen, after gyms were told they could reopen, they weren't mandating masks. Okay. The reason they weren't mandating masks is because the government's um, guidelines for reopening was that people shouldn't wear masks during intense aerobic activities for indoor sports. Okay, that so sounds... So indoor sports, they were saying they shouldn't, wear masks while they're participating in these intense aerobic activities, but they're supposed to wear masks in the gym. So the gym owner decided he wanted to make masks um, optional because if somebody is intensely working out- You're breathing in and out heavily. You don't want to suffocate yourself with a mask. So that was the guidelines. That Those were the government guidelines, right? So From federal or state? uh, State, I believe. Okay. So that was- um, Something that I, I think he saw like a little hypocrisy in sure. that. Sure. Now, you Seems know. Seems to be a theme here. Um, so anyway, $15,000 a day for not mandating masks, for making masks optional. And roughly how many? So, so they're basically saying that was, I mean, you could rack up $150,000 in fines in 10 days. So are right. they saying that? <laughs> and, but, but, you know, the whole thing, if you're fined, the you have an opportunity to fight that, which you said they were. They were in litigation right. over it. Yes. There, that seems like a severe overreach of the state government to say, we're just going to go cherry pick those funds. Right, just take it. Yeah, yeah. and where do they draw the line there? Can they do that to you as an in, in, individual? Right. If you have a speeding ticket or if you have um, delinquent property taxes, that's not the way the um, the court process works. They can't just say, we know you have $2,000 sitting in your account. You owe that in back taxes. We are going to go directly take that out of your bank account. They can't do that to you as an individual. So why should they be able to do that to your business? It's crazy. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say what's really, uh, you know, allowed what's, you know, within the confines of the law. I think, um, to me, um, there's a couple of things. Gyms, gyms are good for people. Like it's, you know, the idea of gyms being closed. Health and wellness. Gyms should be like the last thing in my, in my opinion to be closed because your health, your immune system, your weight, all of that stuff plays an very important role in how you're going to do if you get COVID. Oh, and right? I, th- and I think this is going to have an effect on people. I mean, I, 
I only just started getting back into the swing of like my workouts and stuff like that in the last like two months. But like I got to the point where all this was going on and I just kind of like shut down. I, I dropped the weights and I started doing curls with my, my bottles of whiskey because that was kind of like more my headspace at the time. I no longer, you know, saw the need for it. I kind of got, you get into this kind of depressive slump. And what about the people who are younger and who are at home and they're not out socializing and they're not doing their daily routine anymore. They've been thrown off track. Is this another thing that's going to have health implications down the road? Yeah. Long-term. I mean, we're worried about the short-term here. Nobody's focused on what this effect of, you know, pumping money into the economy, uh, shutting people in, uh, not allowing people to, uh, socialize what this is going to do for the psyche and the economy of everything for decades to come. This is not something that is just going to go away. It's going to be something that's for the history books and say that this was a turning point in our country's history. Absolutely. I mean, and that's where it all goes back to that first, you know, two weeks. I mean, we thought, okay, a couple weeks, a couple months, like it's worth it. It's worth it. But when you start getting into longer, you know, stretches of time, the damage that you're doing, um, economically and socially and physically, it's, it, it does start to become long-term damage. And you look at, you know, uh, starvation and stuff like that across the world. I mean, talk about, uh, if you want to talk about privilege, like we live in America. So if you lock down, if you shut down, um, we're still going to have food to eat, but right. if you shut down your, your production and your, your supply chains and stuff like that, you get into parts of the world where that means no food today. They don't have the option of locking down. Um, and so I think to say, well, if you're not in favor of this, you are, you are, you're the devil, right? You're not humane. You you care more you don't about care money. About people. Yes. Yeah, you you're care more money about money ahead than of people's health. But you know, all of this goes into play. It's there's a lot of nuance. Yeah, you can't say one or the other. You have to, um, you have to look at the pros and the cons, and the you know you have to have risk assessment. The line's very gray, right? So you know, and that's one thing about it. You know, if you talk about a federal lockdown or something like that, I think. You, you know, there, the country is vastly different, right? New York city is going to look a lot different than KPAC, for example. And so to say, you know, we should have the same rules across the board absolutely does not make sense. You are not going to have the same rates of spread. You don't have the same, you know, population as far as age. And, uh, you have to look at this really surgically, and I that's, think. yeah, because that's like when the, the governor was talking about shutting down the state, people in the UP were like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. What do you mean we have to shut down? There's nobody here. Why yes. would we have to shut down? And there were some times where if you were in the northern part of the state, it different rules yes. applied to you. And I, you know what? It's hard for people to accept, but it, it makes sense because, um, because just like I said, you know, you can't treat every, every area the same. Right. I think that, you know, you, the best way to apply these rules is, you know, through careful examination, figuring out, you know, you only shut down when you are really at that limit of, you know, hospitalizations and stuff like that. You do not shut down before that because the cost of shutting down is big. And I, I think in their mind, they think they are doing that. 
I think in in their mind, that's what they think they're doing. Yeah. And, but it they're not talking to the right people, in my opinion. Like nobody, nobody is worried about what's happening in downtown Romeo. Right. Nobody's worried about what's happening in Elmont or KPAC, like you said. This is this is something where it it's just this trickle effect that if if things, if half the businesses in Romeo are gone by the end of this, oh well. Yeah. Oh well, they they don't care. That doesn't. That's not going to change anything for them. That's not going to affect them in any way. You know it's, what? I feel like I thought Amazon's probably going to after after like a half the restaurants go out of business, you're going to start seeing Amazon restaurants yeah. popping up. No, I don't think you're wrong about that. It's going to be, you know. It, it, it's going to be quite possible for them to slip in. They've done that with grocery stores. Right. There's there's a reason why Amazon Amazon bought Whole Foods. It's because they're these businesses can exist. Like there's no reason why Borders Books and Music went out of business other than their own lack of innovation. A brick and mortar store can still make a lot of money. They just want to swallow up the competition and they want to have access to the employees who are able to work for that company because that's what you really need. Automation is still very far off for a lot of these um, entry-level positions. So you still need people at the end of the day. How do you get people to jump ship from their current jobs and and, and get to the other ones, tell them that their job doesn't exist anymore at these yeah. other companies. Shut or, the other companies down and say, hey, we're, we're, we're starting at 15 bucks an hour. Exactly. Come on in. That's what I was going to say too. If you end up with a federally you know, mandated 15 minimum wage. That's high. That's high. That is something that Amazon can do. Walmart can do. You know, these big Their profits are through the roof. They can do that. And it's going to be a little strain for them, but um, not much at all. But you're going to see your smaller businesses that they can't. They yeah, they're making record that. profits. They they don't understand the, the the people who say that there should be a $15 federal minimum wage do not understand the concept that one, not all jobs are meant to be um enough to uh sustain a household. Right. Secondly, there are some industries where it's just not affordable based on the service provided to pay somebody that right. there, because you're going to have to increase your prices. And now that customer, you have a customer base that goes away. Right. I can't, I can't pay somebody $15 an hour to answer phones and full t-shirts. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And you know, we, I, I think we have to start defining, you know, the, the, the jobs by, you know, what is meant to be truly a part-time position. Like if you're, Let's say you have a job where you're limited to 20 hours a week. There should be a minimum wage for a 20 hour a week job. Cause normally that would be part-time. That would be somebody who's going to school, uh, or like an after school job or something like that. But once it hits after maybe 40 hours, if there, are, if it's a full-time position or 35 hours, now maybe there's a different minimum wage for that job because I can, if I only need somebody 10 hours a week to fold t-shirts, you know, that's that's one set of uh, uh, you know a minimum wage there, but if I need them for longer than that, then I have to pay them more. Yep. That makes sense because there's obviously a need for that person. I think that um, I have to go with. I think the markets kind of kind of work that out. I mean, you know, how many people that are that are you know that are doing a you know fifteen dollar an hour job are getting, you know, what's the minimum wage now? Eight? 
No, no, no. I, I no, no. We're I think we're up Nine. to like eleven. <laughs> okay. we're, we're like eleven or twelve here in the state. Okay. I think it's a, a eleven. Just okay. Just around eleven. I, I guess maybe you have some people. Some people doing that, but um, I think it gets really. I'm really. I'm reluctant to say government tell us what to do. Yeah. Because I think they flub it up a lot of the times. So, um, and I do think you, you know, you as a. I, I know a lot of small business owners and they're not trying to gouge their employees. They're not trying to be greedy jerks. They're doing what they can. You know, a lot of times you have a relationship with your employees. You want to do your best for them. And you have to pay them more to keep them a lot of the time. Right. So there's, there's so, going to be that time where they come to you and say, Hey boss, I need a raise. All right. What do you need? And if you're worth that, they give you that raise. Right. If you're not, they'll say, I'm sorry, we can't afford to do that. And if that doesn't work, I guess you'll have to look for something else. That's the reality of it. They know your worth. And if they can't afford to do it, they can't afford to do it too. I mean, you know, you have to be able to have a profitable business. You can't pay all of your profits out um, to your, you know, your part-time high school worker. Otherwise the risk doesn't outweigh the, or the reward doesn't outweigh the risk. You know, it's too risky to get into business and have all this overhead, you know? I just think that certain regulations like that, uh, what they do is they make it they make it even harder on the small business owner who already currently has been stomped on, and they make it easier for the uh, for the corporations, the big giants, to to kind of come in and yeah swallow up the the small business. Don't you think that eventually it almost seems like Amazon is more setting the pace of the minimum wage than than what the government could do. Because if, let's say Amazon decided to make their minimum wage $20 an hour, it might be hard for me to keep my employees right? at $13 an hour because they're going to say, I can go make another $7 an hour sure. at Amazon. And it's, you know, yeah, it might be a little more intense, but I can also get more hours there too. They're all also willing to give me overtime and they they need me for X amount of time. Like, I think that's going to be the struggle down the road sure. is that these smaller like tool and die shops in our town that see so many uh, employees, they might have anywhere between, you know, 200 to 400 employees. These are the higher end small businesses. Um, they're going to lose people to those jobs because they can't, those people who are entry level employees are going to jump ship and go get 20 bucks an hour yeah, at Amazon. I can see that. What do you think? You think there's a solution for that? Uh, or my, should for, there be a solution or is that kind of organically where it's going to go and, you know, that's how it should play out? What do you think? Well, I, I think personally that, you know, Amazon needs to pay its fair share in taxes oh, first yeah. and foremost. That's, right? a, that's a huge factor here. Um, but I mean, there has to be a way for other companies to be competitive, and there's not a way for that to exist right now. If I wanted to go start Amazon 2.0 right now, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would I would not have the the longevity to make that because you have to uh, the the they're basically taking a loss on uh, on some items uh, because of the shipping rates and everything else like that. Their their goal is just people, people, people at this point, you couldn't sustain that as, as a, as a person who was trying to start something up from scratch right now. And there's a lot that you could get into with the Amazon thing, but I think this whole shutdown really worked to their benefit where they captured 
yeah. a portion of the working force that they wouldn't have been able to capture without this. Meanwhile, their their facilities never got shut down. You know how many cases of COVID came as a result of Amazon employees? Over 20,000 cases. Wow. And yeah. and and never shut down once. Yes. So so these are the things that they are we, there has to be some breakdown in tech right now because between Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, we've we're we're kind of getting past the point of no return here. This is something that we it's either going to get reined in with the with the administration in the next four to twelve years, or it's they're going to have more more power than they already do, um, and that's the direction right. I see it going in. And I, that's another thing: the censorship issues that we're oh, kind of looking at. We just at talked lately. about that the other day with Phil on here. Okay, those are really um, scary. Scary to me. Yeah. I. I personally, freedom of speech, there's to, there's a reason it's number one, man, on yeah. those Bill of Rights. It's so important. It's the backbone of a free society. And you cannot decide what you, what, you can't just support the speech you like. Right. You know, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, Twitter, they're, uh, they're a private company. They make their own rules and, you know, that's the way it goes. But you know what? The the phone company, they're a private yeah. company too, but they can't just shut off phone service because they don't like you. Right. Um, you know, we, we can't just shut your energy off imagine because they don't that. like imagine you. Imagine that because if you were, if let's say that you were, you know, in the in the Trump administration and now they're they're coming back and saying, "Well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to uh install a wood-burning stove because we're not going to put right. uh gas into your house anymore. We're cutting off your service because we don't like your policies." And, and we really this the whole age of the internet and tech went it, you know, it 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 zoomed past us to where Nobody could get a rain on it fast enough because it should be some of these services like Facebook and uh, Twitter, they are absolutely acting like a public utility. Right. I mean, these are something that, you know, everybody has. This is, that's how people communicate. Yeah. And there's, there's been, and, and the, the attempts to make something that's competitive with that, which we saw in like that parlor app, regardless of how you feel about the content that's on that app. You had Amazon coming through and saying, well, we don't want to host you anymore. Right. We want, we're going to shut you down. Amazon, that AWS services is not going to be a provider for this. Do they have the right to that? Because I remember years ago when it was such a hot topic when the, the baker wouldn't make a cake for the gay couple right. and everybody was up in arms sure. saying, no, you have to do that. You have to make that. You don't get to pick and choose who you, who you service because that's discrimination. Yes. And it really is. I can't, I can't. Uh, boot somebody out of my store because you know what if it was uh, you know somebody who wanted to make um, something some sort of Christian group shirt and I said well I'm not going to do that I, because I don't believe in your faith. Yeah. So I think the issue is that they were saying that there was um, there was a threat to safety. Sure. Because of death threats and whatnot. But we all know that Twitter, it's not like Twitter hasn't had- Isn't that what Twitter is? Right. I mean, you know, let's not be silly here. Like we know that those things happen on Twitter too. Nobody has has shut off Twitter because, right. you know, a lot of really egregious language happens on Twitter. Like this is not, you know, how we're running things. You can't, you know, pick and choose. Um, and the, you know, these- 
these social media companies, they're afforded certain protections from the law. You can't sue them based off of, you know, slander and, and libel and stuff like that because they say, well, we are not a publisher. We don't, we're, we don't decide content. So you, we're just, we're just the platform. But they facilitate. Pe- but they do decide content now. When they True. go and they, they delete you or they, you know, fact check you or whatever, that is them deciding content and becoming the editor. And when they're doing that, they're opening themselves up for, for lawsuit, if you ask me, because they're, they're changing their purpose. And now you're also creating a society that only sees one side of the, the argument. I mean, this is what, you know, there was that, that, uh, that documentary, the social dilemma on Netflix. And they really talked about how you could potentially have two different people who are immersed in two different worlds because they have the same exact Facebook friends, but they, the posts that they see are different and what is pushed on them. Facebook has made a lot of money through political advertising and through, um, you know, these boosted posts that they never, nobody, nobody seemed to be concerned about it for the last four years. It's that we've had this buildup and all of a sudden now we're supposed to say, well, well, we'll get better. We'll fix it right. down the road. But in the meantime, at the at the expense of individuals' uh, uh, free speech, yeah. at the end of the day, the algorithms that these that these companies have too they they are turning our society against each other. Like yeah. they are polarizing us. They're creating these these uh, these bubbles that we live in because they give you what you want to see, right? And because they, you know, they realize that. Um, you know, anger and, you know, all these, these strong emotions are good business. They keep people yeah. coming back. Right? And they, 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 they confirm your beliefs right. with, you know, it's that confirmation bias where you're only seeing things that reinforce your opinion. You can, you know, you have to seek out the opposite, um, the, the opposite answer essentially. And Google does the same thing, right. depending on what you're depending, depending on where you're signed into Google and when you're searching, it's, it's picking up what's, what people are looking for in your area. It's making assumptions of what you want to search for, not necessarily what the truth might be, right. you know, and, and, and it's just something that seems like this is what I mean back to your original question with things are getting too far out of control. It's getting out of the hands of, um, the, the many and putting it into the hands of the few who now think they know better Yes. Than us, yeah. it's it's it, which which breeds hypocrisy, right. like we talked about earlier. But now that we're moving into the new year here, and warmer weather's approaching, there is um, you know hopefully we're ending the near the or nearing the end of some of these bans on the restaurants. You know, February first, we will be getting updates again as to where we stand. Where do you think we're heading in the future uh, of, and I'm just talking about the next year. Are you, are you, are you positive (laughs) about where we're going? Do you have a positive outlook? I am seeing, no, I don't. (laughs) I mean, I, I would like to say that I do. I am seeing kind of a full press on censorship. You know, you see, um, CNN's panels talking about how we need to rein in, um, you know, these news outlets on YouTube, how, um, you know, you have people talking about, um, about what is it like re-educating Trump supporters? Oh. You, you know, you, you're, you're seeing these people kind of pushing, um, this, this censorship 
narrative. I I think that the attack on the cap capital is a great um, excuse to kind of you know take more control. We, you know, even now, though it was such a small segment of. The, the, the population, the population yes. that, that that did that, and <clears throat> and you know you're always going to have your 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 quote unquote bad apples at right. the end of the day, right? And so you know we're we're hearing lots of talk of you know domestic terrorism being our our big problem now, and you know you do have people in government, you know even though I'm not uh, totally in agreement with a lot of the politics, but uh, you know Rashida Tlaib and the squad. They they recently have spoke up against more, you know, government controls based off of these, you know, these domestic terrorist threats. And, you know, you have to be really careful about this. And I applaud them for that because I completely agree. Um, I just um, I'm a little concerned about hyperinflation being an issue with all of our all of the money printed. We, you know, I think it's like 65% of US dollars in circulation were printed in like the past year. Something and, crazy like that, you know. Oh, are you saying that there's going to be consequences for the trillions and trillions of dollars that have been pumped into our economy in less than a year? You know, if um if we can't have major production, if we can't back up this money printing with, with goods, then yes, absolutely. You can't just, you know, print and shut down. You have to, you have to have production to support the, the printing of this, you know, mass amount of money. And so you see, you know, some of these, uh, big, big people, um, Bill Gates buying, you know, the most farmland up in America. Now he owns the most farmland up. And I think he knows the dollar is not going to be worth as much. And, and God ain't making any more land. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. That's, that's something that is, um, you know, is finite in supply. And and you're right. That uh, the rich, one of the richest men in the United States to, to be putting his, his money into an asset like that is telling you that the, and you know, he's already, uh, uh, deep into, um, you know, the stock market and, and different business ventures. Uh, so, so he's definitely got money to spare, but he's really seen an, an, a need to put money there right. instead of just, you know, keeping it on the sideline. I mean, a lot of us are going to be punished for being save, being savers or being, uh, economic or fiscally responsible, you know, you see hyperinflation, your dollar becomes worthless. And so, and then you're seeing other things in the financial sector, you know, one of Biden's um, picks for, I think, secretary of treasury, her last name's Yellen. Yeah. Janet Yellen. She was, uh, what was, she was, I think the treasury secretary, uh, cause she's the pick for the, she's going to be the new, or no, she was the fed chair previously. Okay. And now she's going to be the, uh, Treasury Secretary, right? Okay. I think that's I th- it. I think so. So she's been talking, you know, I've seen a couple articles about trying to rein in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, um, because her reasoning is because um, it's, uh, you know, illegal activity is is supported. Which there's an aspect of that uh, in the <laughs> beginning, but but there is, there's also something to be said that it's, you know, if that if that gym owner from Jersey that we were talking about had put his money into Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't have been able to seize it the way exactly. they did. So, so maybe that's, that's a wake up call too. they they know they're losing control. Right. And I think the U S has made attempts in the past to get residents on like a, a, uh, a, 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 a 
digital wallet, essentially, where okay. it's going to be controlled by the government, yes. not necessarily by your individual banks anymore. Right. They want to be able to, you know, maintain their level of control. Um, shut And shut down your card when you try to spend it at a place that's supposed to be <laughs> yeah, shut down, maybe. Exactly. And then she was also talking about um, taxing unrealized capital gains, which, you know, these are, you know, I'm not a big financial person, but these are just kind of things to uh, consider financially, you know, what we're looking at down the road. Yeah. What, um, is it, what does it look like? What? How can you really, quote unquote, make it in America? How can you make it? How can you be, uh, you know, achieving the American dream when by the time you start to near that, something slaps you in the face right. and puts you right back down right. to where you started. I think that, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm kind of concerned for um, the direction of what the American dream is going to become, you know? Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I think a little negatively and then I just kind of pull in. I think, you know what? Things are crazy right now. And so what I'm going to worry about is... I'm going to worry about myself and my family and trying to totally. be a good person and trying to have a good community, trying to be a good neighbor mm-hmm. to my na- you know, to my neighbors, doing things to enrich my life because you know, things are crazy, but when I look at my life, I am blessed. I mean, my daughter said to me this this year, she said, "Is 2020 the worst year of your life?" And I said, I kind of chuckled. I said, "Well, yeah, I guess, but that's saying a lot because I have had, you know, all all the food I need. I've had shelter. I've been safe. My kids are healthy and safe. Um, I haven't really wanted for anything. So, I mean, how blessed am I that this was the worst year of my life and it was still just so much better than a lot of people have had to live through in their lives. So you got to just pull it in. You got to realize, you know, what you have and how lucky Outlook we is are. everything. Outlook yeah. is everything. You know, if you keep, if you keep a positive mindset through, you know, there's people who go through so much adversity in life and knock on wood, I've been lucky and fortunate enough to where I've not been one of those people. My, my life has not been the same struggle that it's been for other individuals. And I, I think as long as you, uh, you know, maintain perspective and you keep yourself on the path that of, you know, like you said, helping each other out, counting your blessings, knowing what you do have and not necessarily what you're missing out on. I think that ultimately is what makes for a good life overall, not just in this year or last year, but, but through, through a lifetime. So I think that's a great spot to end it at. You know, you summed it up perfectly. Uh, But next time I want to get you and Dan in here at the same time. It'd be interesting. Nice. I want to see how you guys uh, <laughs> go back and forth. How we jive off yeah, each other. Yeah, that would be fun. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for Julia for sitting in on this episode of Pure Speculation. You can tra- check us out on strugglestate.com and 32inmain.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, the struggle is real. Yeah.